Lord, how wonderful it is that we can sing praises to your name together as a collective family, raising up your name and glorifying you in your name. Amen. Kids, you may be dismissed. Some of you might notice I have a jacket on, which I don't normally. Uh, Linda Shirley actually said, is someone special supposed to be here this Sunday? And uh, I said, no, just sometimes you got to wear a jacket. And she said, isn't it really hot? I said, it was a hot day to choose to wear a jacket. Yes. But I chose it nonetheless. And uh, it is a pleasure to be here with you all this beautiful, beautiful morning. I love the summer. I love the sun. It just gives me so much energy and joy. Uh, We are going to continue in our series in the book of John. We have finally moved into John chapter 9, and we're actually going to read the whole chapter today because it's one long story that makes a lot of sense to read in its entirety. But before we do that, I am going to pray, and we are going to ask the Lord to be here present with us and speak to us through His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for your love. We thank you that we can come and worship you. We thank you that you are alive and not dead. We thank you that you died on the cross and rose again, Jesus. We thank you. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall afresh upon us this morning, that you will use my mouth to proclaim your truth, that your spirit will guide and direct me and your spirit will guide and direct us as we hear your word. For God, you are a God who desires to speak to your people. And so we ask for you to speak. And we ask that as we open up the word of God, it's not just for education where we put a new thing of of knowledge upon our shelf of of, uh, our memory. But Father, may it go deep into our hearts and transform us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure if you're like me, but you might be. In the fact that a small block of cheese taught me a spiritual lesson. Right? Anybody? Anybody have block of cheese? Teach them a spiritual lesson? All right. Maybe I'm alone in this. But I remember one, one day I was at my in-law's house on Tuesday. They would watch uh, Liam every Tuesday. So every Tuesday night we'd have dinner with them. And we were sitting at the table and we we're enjoying a meal. And there's a block of cheese and crackers on the table. And Amelia, the, the, the wonderful daughter that she is, she loves cheese and crackers. And so she grabbed crackers and cheese and had her hands full of both of them. And she said, Daddy, could you please cut me another slice of cheese? And I said, Amelia, eat what's in your hand. Right? Just wait, just wait. You're, you can't stuff your mouth full. Eat what's in your hand. And in that very moment, God speaks to me weird ways. He said, Marvin, eat what's in your hand. I thought, well, what does that even mean, spiritually speaking? Well, he was speaking to my heart because there was a sense that I had in my life that I wasn't where I should be. I wasn't where I deserved to be. I was in a a larger church, and I wanted to have more of a voice. I felt like, man, I deserve it. I've got really good skills, and, and I'm really smart, and I know the Bible, and I'm charismatic, and I should have more of a voice in where we're going. And the Lord was saying, listen, you are in charge of a church plant at the University of Pittsburgh. You've got enough to do. Eat what's in your hand. Eat what's in your hand. Man, it's just one of those crazy things where a block of cheese can teach you a lesson. Why do I share that story? Although it is humorous and God uses anything he wants to to teach us, that's the point. Is that God can use anything to teach us about certain things. 
God can use a block of cheese, and God can use the story of a man born blind to teach you and I lessons on sight, where we can begin to see better. The story of this man teaches us that reality, that there are lessons of sight that we need to learn. But many times in life, while God is speaking, while God is trying to use those blocks of cheese in our lives, we miss it because we're not paying attention. And you could read through this story and say, wow, that's a really great story. There's Jesus making the Pharisees angry again. It's all over the scripture, over and over again. He's doing something to frustrate the Pharisees. But there are deep, true, honest lessons that this man's story teaches us. Jesus teaches some things. The blind man himself teaches us some things. The disciples teach us some things. And so do the Pharisees. And you wouldn't expect a blind man's story to teach us about sight. But the reality is is that lessons in faith often come from the least likely places. Are we looking? Are we have our spiritual eyes open? Are we allowing ourselves to see those lessons in the least likely places? So the question that we're going to ask, I I feel it's important to to remind us that every scripture gives an answer to a specific question. And the question can change as you realize more about the scriptures. But as we look at this particular passage as I was praying, I believe that God wants to answer this question. What lessons can a blind man's story give us about sight? What lessons can a blind man's story give us about sight? So I am going to read the whole passage. So tuck in with me. If you have your Bible, pull it out. It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to read the story of a man born blind. John chapter 9, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> That's a funny part of the story. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Whew! That's a long story. But it's packed with lessons on sight. It's packed with learnings that you and I can attach to our lives. And as we look at that story, and we look at verses 1 through 3, I believe the first thing that you and I can see, we learn from Jesus and the disciples. And that is that the big picture is often hidden from our sight. The big picture is often hidden from our sight. Why do I say that? Well, the disciples, they're wandering around walking with Jesus, and they see a man, and they know that he's been there begging and that he's been born blind. And so they, thinking that they know what they're talking about, say, was this man born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Testing Jesus, asking him, we know the big picture. We know it's either one of them. Jesus, tell us which one. And he's like, well, actually, it's, it's neither. It's not any of those. In fact, he's, he's been born blind, and I'm going to use his blindness to glorify my name, to glorify God. You see, the big picture, sometimes we feel like we understand. We look at the Bible and we say, I get it. The big picture is understandable. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know what the Bible is saying. I'm good to go. It's as silly as Hillary and I, when we first got married or we were engaged, I can't remember. I sat down with her and I said, you know what? Let's write out a 20-year plan. We were 20 at the time. <laughs> See what I'm saying? 
So we're like, here's the big picture. Here's what I think is going to happen. And I said, man, I don't want to be a youth pastor in a local church for, a long, for the rest of my life. I want to go to the national office and be the national youth director because I was all about the stage and all about myself. And so I said, that's my 20-year plan. That's my 20-year goal. That's my career choice. Well, that was not God's big picture. <laughs> I'm here. God has called me to something different. In fact, three or four years ago, here's something really funny. I received a phone call from someone who's on the board of directors of the CMA. And the opening for the national youth director had happened. And he called me and said, hey, can I put your name in for this position? And I thought, it's not even been 20 years yet. Wow. All right. Maybe I did get this right. So I talked to Hillary. Say we have to move to Colorado Springs if we take this job. And she said, I would need a burning bush to move to Colorado. Clearly was not in God's plan. <laughs> was not what God wanted us to do. She really said those words. I, mean, I thought, wow, okay, I'm not Moses. We're not going. <laughs> but we see this idea that we could have the big picture, but Jesus tells his disciples, you don't understand the big picture. This man's brokenness can be redeemed and restored, not because he sinned or his parents sinned to have him born blind, but because I can use it to glorify my name. Which we then see, another lesson is that Christ can take anything that is broken and restore it. Christ can take anything that is broken. The man who was born blind said to the Pharisees, not in the entire world has anyone ever seen a man born blind get healed by someone else. In their world at the time, that had never happened. And he said, but he did it. I can see. I was blind, but now I see. Christ can and will restore any brokenness. Nothing can stop it. If you submit and surrender to him and there is brokenness in your life, you can and will be restored. Now, it might not be in the way that you wanted it to happen. It might not look the way that you would have perfectly put it together in your mind, but Christ will bring restoration. We see that in this man born blind, that God can use anything to bring glory to his name. He can restore anything that is broken even those things that we never heard of before. Warren Wiersbe says, Our Lord often performed miracles in order to meet human needs, but he also used those miracles as a message conveying spiritual truth. The spiritual truth in this particular story is that Christ can restore anything. Christ can restore anything. Jesus was reminding his disciples that they don't know the big picture like they think they did. And then Jesus teaches us another lesson on sight in verses 4 through 7. And that's this. Jesus does what Jesus wants. Jesus does what Jesus wants. He looks at this, this particular moment and he realizes, I am going to do something that's not an accident. Guess what? When you look at the scriptures in the gospel, Jesus never did anything on accident. Jesus did things on purpose for a purpose. Now, Jesus knows that him spitting in the mud and making a clay, a clay uh, thing to put on Jesus' eyes, a clay piece of mud to put on this guy's eyes, he knew that he was doing something wrong. It was the Sabbath day. He knew that he was doing a healing on the Sabbath day, and he knew that he was doing one of the 39 no-nos that you're not supposed to do on a Sabbath. He was making clay. You were not to mold or shape anything on the Sabbath day. 
So Jesus does what Jesus wants. He realizes this is not supposed to happen, but I don't care. I'm Jesus. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to heal this man even though he was born blind. I'm going to use mud and stick it on his eyes because I want to. You can't stop Jesus. There are things that Jesus does in our lives that we're like, please stop. And he's like, no, because I'm going to do what I want to do in your life, whether you want me to do it or not. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to call you out on some of the things in your life. And we look at this story of the man born blind, and Jesus did what Jesus wanted to do. That is a really important lesson that you and I need to learn on sight. When we see God, when we look at our relationship with God, we got to recognize He's God and we are not. Jesus does what Jesus wants to do. We can ask the Lord to do specific things, and many times He meets us in the very need, the very question, the very ask that we had. But sometimes Jesus does things in an unorthodox way because Jesus' ways are sometimes unorthodox. Now, if I'm that blind guy who's born blind, and I hear, and I, I, I can recognize that he's molding something, and I'm about to say, what are you going to do with that, Jesus? Oh, and then he's like, just, I'm going to put it on your eyeballs. Now, that's unorthodox. That's a bit weird, okay? To me, I, I would feel very uncomfortable. I can't even see this guy. Is he clean or is he dirty? I have no idea, right? All I know is that he's spitting in the ground, putting together mud cakes, and he's going to put it on my eyeballs. We don't see that man freak out at all. He's like, all right, go ahead. Do it. Put the mud on my eyes. Jesus' ways are sometimes unorthodox, and we've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the way our Christian life is going to be often is we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable because Jesus' ways are sometimes unorthodox. We talked about the book of Joshua last week where God called Joshua to march around seven times and then blow trumpets to, to break down the walls of Jericho. That's unorthodox. And so if we see scripture, it consistently says Jesus and God, the Lord, the Holy Trinity are going to do things that are unorthodox. We better get ready for those unorthodox things. And we better be like the blind man who said, yep, go ahead, put mud on my eyeballs. Just do it. I know it's weird, but you're doing it and you're Jesus and you do what you want, so do it. What if that man would have said, no, that's disgusting. Please, you're, you're nasty. Why are you doing that, putting your spit mud on my eyes? He never would have been healed, ever. But he chose to follow the unorthodox ways of Jesus. Acting as if we know the formula for the works that Jesus gives us to see have sight is also blindness. Because we can have an idea of a formula. The reason why Jesus in the Gospels healed blind people completely different ways is because he's saying there is no formula. It's all about me. It's all about trust. I'm going to do what I want to do, and it's going to seem unorthodox to you. Don't try and formularize Jesus because he's not built into a formula. We are humans. We are finite. We can't even imagine his box or his glory or his majesty. So we can't pretend like we understand. The next thing that we see that Jesus gives in verse 7 to this man, a lesson that both the blind man and Jesus teach us, is that obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Look at verse 7. 
Jesus, after he had put the mud on his eyes, said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. This man obeyed. Not only did he let mud get put on his eyes, but he went and didn't even really know Jesus and went into the place he was told to wash. He washed, and the blessing of sight happened. Obedience brings blessing. Now, when you look at that type of, of, of point, you'd say, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean every time I obey God, he's going to give me everything I want? Well, no, because if he gave you everything you want, you'd be a hot mess because you don't really know what you need. You might want things, but those things might actually end up destroying you. So he's not going to give you what you want. He's going to give you what you need. The blessings that he's going to give you might be unorthodox blessings. They might be unorthodox blessings, But trust me when I say, Scripture is full of this one point. Obedience brings blessing. So when Jesus calls us to do unorthodox things, when Jesus is doing in our life what Jesus wants to do, are we going to obey and go with it? Even if it's as weird as getting mud in our eyes from his spit mud. Are we going to go with it? Or are we going to rest back and say, that's just too much, that's too weird? We're going to miss out on a blessing that God has for us when we don't live in obedience. Had this man not gone to this pool, he would not have been healed. He just would have been walking around with dry mud on his eyes. That's not fun. But he obeyed. He followed in obedience. And God brought a blessing. Kossenberger, a commentator on this particular passage, he reminds us that the man's obedience was complete and so was his cure. He did both steps, allowed the mud to be on his eyes and then went to the pool of Siloam. He followed both. His obedience was complete and so was his cure. So was His cure. Obedience isn't about blessing, but blessing is always a byproduct of blessing. We don't go after obedience for a blessing. I want to back up and make sure that we correct that idea. We don't go for obedience for a blessing, but blessing is always a byproduct of obedience. Always a byproduct of obedience. Again, it may not be the blessing that we wanted but it will be a blessing nonetheless. One of the other lessons that we can see from this particular passage when we look at verses 8 through 12 is this. The lesson on sight is that theology should enlighten our experience. Experience should not enlighten our theology. What do I mean by that? Well, look at these guys in this this Jewish ruling. They're sitting there and they, they have to look at this story of this man born blind. And the man born blind himself says, this has never happened before. And so even his neighbors, they're like, is this the guy? Is it really him? And he's like, it's me. It's really been me. I know this is confusing and it's really hard for you to grasp, but it's really me. This really happened. God did this in my life through Jesus, who is God. He did it. And they're like, well, I don't really trust you. We're going to take you to the ruling Pharisees and we're going to get this checked out because this doesn't sound kosher. So they put them before these guys and they allowed their experience to interfere with their theology. Because they said, I have never experienced a miracle like this, so then it could never really happen. 
Well, how dumb is that? There's a lot of things in our lives that you and I have never experienced that we know have happened. Right? You and I might not have ever experienced the joy of a grandbaby. I never have. One day I hope I will. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. But when we look at the scriptures and we look at theology, we say, well, because I've never seen it happen, then it really can't be true. But if the Bible says it's going to happen, and it can happen, and it will happen, we need to believe that and not our experience. But for these Pharisees, they allowed their experience to hinder their theology. They didn't look at it and realize that he was giving them a messianic lesson. The lesson in the Messianic lesson that Jesus was giving to these Pharisees was that the blind will see. That was a Messianic promise. They're sitting there looking at the Messiah. Their theology says that when the Messiah comes, the blind will see, and they look at him and say, well, I've never experienced that, so he's a sinner. (laughs) Okay, but you and I, we can do the same thing. We can look at the Bible and see the promises that God gives us, And we can be blind to the reality that God can and will do whatever he wants to, despite your experience. God today could use a believer to pray over someone who was born blind and watch them get healed and see. Just because you've never seen it, just because you've never heard someone has done that before, doesn't mean it cannot happen. Because the Bible says it will, and it can, and it should happen. Do not allow your experience to hinder you in your theology, your study of God, your study of the Word. These Pharisees allowed it to get in their way. Man, the Word says it's true, it's true. And it will happen. The next thing that we can see in this passage, a lesson that we can learn from the the life of this man born blind, this story, is that Jesus can withstand the scrutiny of man. Jesus can withstand the scrutiny of man. Listen, it is nothing new that we are challenged in our faith in Jesus. It is nothing new that in our academic world, at at our universities, are challenging the reality of a God. It is nothing new that this story of evolution is being utilized to underscore their idea of what happened at creation. These things are not new. Jesus has always been under a microscope. Always. And every time when you look super close and you scrutinize Jesus, he always comes out on top. Always comes out on top. These guys did this crazy, serious, you know, this whole investigation. Well, is this really the man? Okay, it's the man. But was he really born blind? Even though we saw him as a beggar, we know his life. Did it really happen? Let's ask his parents. And they drag the parents in and they say, is this your son? Uh, yeah, you know it's my son. Was he really born blind? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Well, then who did it? We have no idea. All we know is that he can see. Go talk to him yourself. You see, they were afraid that, had they said, they knew it was Jesus, by the way. But they were afraid that if they said it was Jesus, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. They'd lose all of their community. But if you look at the whole story, all of the scrutiny that Jesus was under, he came out on top. 
I had college students at the University of Pittsburgh. One student, every class that she was in history of Christianity at the University of Pittsburgh. And the person who was teaching history of Christianity was, you guessed it, an atheist. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So every class, it was on a Tuesday and Thursday, she would say, can we please have coffee? Because I don't even realize what this person is saying. I'm confused about Jesus now. I have no idea if he actually did some of these things. Can we please talk? And I would share with her the truth of the gospel. And what we realize and what we need to realize as believers is that all of the arguments against Jesus are simply straw men. What do I mean by that? That's a military term. Straw men. There was a war that had happened and they, there was a group of guys, maybe about 25 to 50 men, on a hill. And there was about 300 people below the hill. And they said, man, you know what? They're, we're going to get destroyed. We've got to act quick. We've got to figure out something to make ourselves look like we have more people than we do. Well, they had extra uniforms. Who knows why they had extra uniforms, but they did. And so they built straw men on the hill so that when these 300 men came marching, they saw like 400 of these straw men, and they said, well, we can't win. We're going to, we got to back out. There's only like 25, 50 men on the hill. You see, what the reality is, is that the enemy knows how to build really good straw men so that when we who believe in Jesus go up to this mountain and we see all these arguments against him, we say, maybe I should back down. Maybe, maybe they're right. But if you were to go close, if you were to really inspect what people are saying and the refuting of Jesus, you could go close and see, I could tip that little thing over. You see, Jesus can handle the scrutiny. Jesus wasn't saying, don't investigate this man. He was saying, please investigate the man. Find out that I really am the Messiah. But even when they found out he really was the Messiah, they didn't believe it. And that's why he calls them blind at the very end of this passage. And they get a little bit upset. What do you mean we're blind? I can see fine. They're like, well, you think you can. That's why you're blind. The story teaches us lesson after lesson after lesson on sight Do not be afraid of the world's attack upon Jesus. Jesus isn't afraid. Jesus is not afraid when people demand that they need an answer to have him prove himself. He's not scared. But for some reason, we as believers are. Jesus and this man born blind, they they were not scared of the scrutiny that Jesus was receiving. Jesus was not afraid. Now, one of the beautiful things about this passage that I really love is when they interview the man again, and you all laughed at this particular passage, when, when he says, oh, you guys keep asking me these questions. You want to be his disciples too? Now, if you go back to the Greek, he wasn't making a joke. He was serious. He was like, oh, man, you brought me back again because you really want to follow him. And then they're like, you're a follower of him? We follow Moses. Get out of here. You were born in sin. (laughs) They had an opportunity. They had a moment. As they saw this man's life, the testimony that he brought, they could have switched their idea and mind and gone after the truth of the Messiah. They could have seen that he was the Messiah, but they chose blindness over sight. This man's testimony was powerful. And your testimony has power. Your testimony has power. It's another lesson on sight that we can realize. 
When we talk about straw men in the the world that try to show that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is not really king, that Jesus is not really real the way that he said he was, that he didn't really raise from the dead, man, your testimony can prove otherwise. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have experienced the resurrected life from going from death to life, your story has power. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to speak your story. He doesn't want you to share your testimony. Some people I've said, when, when I ask them their testimony, they say, well, it's not really that powerful. I'm not, I wasn't a drug addict. I didn't have all these problems. I'm like, but your story is powerful because you never did those things. Everyone around you was doing them, but because of Jesus in your life, you were able to say no. You have no idea how many train wrecks that testimony, that story, saved you from. Had you not made that choice early on in life to follow after Jesus, you might have been. But God. But God. And there are those moments of complete transformation where you know, man, I could have never said no to that. I could have never walked this path unless Jesus saved me. This man stood up and he gave his testimony. They asked him three times, how did this happen? How did he do it? And he shared with them and he said, if he's a sinner, I have no idea. But what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And then he got up like he was a preacher all of a sudden and started saying, and how can a sinner heal someone? You guys know that's not real. Oh, you're going to teach us something, boy? We're the geniuses of the law. How dare you? You must be a sinner because we're right and you're wrong. Man, that's crazy talk. But that's exactly what had happened. But his testimony had power because if you notice, there was division among the people. The rulers, there was division because his story was powerful. His story was convicting and it was convincing. Your story has power. Utilize your testimony. Kostenberger reminds us that given the importance of witness in this gospel, this may be an instance of the evangelist instructing his readers that a person of committed faith ought to bear personal witness. We talked about this early on in the book of John when we looked at the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a witness of Jesus who was going to come. And there was a challenge to us to be witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives. My challenge remains. Live your testimony. Speak your testimony. Next week, we're going to hear all kinds of testimonies from our high school students who I know God has changed their life at the Life Conference. Talk to those students, ask them their story, ask them what God did, and be encouraged by their testimony. Be encouraged by their boldness in sharing their story to then be convinced that you need to share your story. This man was not afraid. He knew, if you look at the passage, that his parents knew that if they claimed that Christ was real, they would be kicked out of the synagogue and lose their community. This man didn't care. He knew that too. They asked him, who do you think he is? Oh, he's a prophet. Yep, he's the Christ. He's the one. You guys are just dumb enough to not see it. But I know he's the one. And that's why they got enraged and they kicked him out. 
The final point on uh, the final point on lessons that we can learn when it comes to this blind man's story about sight is a pretty easy one to understand. It almost is nonsensical to utilize it, but it's important for us to remember. The closer we get to Jesus, the better we will see him. Now you're like, well, of course, that makes sense. When you walk closer to something, you can see it a little bit clearer. Nice point, Pastor. But there is a point in watching this guy's life. Because when he was first asked who this man was, he said, his name's Jesus, a man named Jesus. But as he was scrutinized, and as he shared his story, as he walked on, the closer he got to the reality of who Jesus was, his heart was quickening within him as he shared his story. When they asked him, who is he? He said, a prophet. And then when Jesus met him after he'd gotten kicked out, Jesus knew he got kicked out, so he said, I'm going to go and spend time with this guy, and I'm going to ask him if he believes in me. And when he talked to the man born blind, after he had received his sight, after he was scrutinized, after he shared his story, he said, yeah, you're the Lord. I'm convinced. The closer he came, the better he saw. One of the things that happens in the book of John is there is a repetitive constant conversation that John is seeking to bring to us as believers, and that is this, come closer to the king because he is God. Deeper intimacy, deeper relationship. We see last week about abiding, meno, coming close to the Lord. We're going to see next week that he is the good shepherd, that he desires to be with his sheep It is a constant refrain throughout the entire book of John. Intimacy with Jesus will transform your life. Sometimes that bell gets rung and we're like, okay, yes. Okay, yes. But here's the question. Are you doing anything about it? Or are you just allowing it to be a gong in your brain? Because maybe God keeps hitting that bell because you're not getting it. These Pharisees had three, four chances to hear the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and they didn't get it because they didn't want to. This Jesus, man, we've been fighting him tooth and nail this whole time. We've got to kill this guy because we just can't stand him. Even though he was standing there right before them, showing them the beauty of the messianic truth that he was bringing sight to the blind, they were blind. So where does this leave us? Well, as we look at this passage and we see that we need to look at the blocks of cheese in our lives. What are the lessons that God is trying to teach us in those things that that just don't make sense? And then when he teaches us those lessons, are we going after them? Are we being people who seek to be closer to God? Are we utilizing our testimony? Can we recognize that Jesus' ways are unorthodox and we don't get it? Can we recognize that his ways are better than our ways? Can we recognize that we don't have the big picture, that only he does? Can we learn these lessons and apply them to our lives? I believe that we can. And when we do, we will see more and more, and more, and more than we ever thought that we could see. Our experience will begin to match our theology because as we trust in this book, as we trust in the promises that he gives us, our theology can be seen in our experience because we'll have the faith to believe it's true. Learn these lessons of sight. 
Live these lessons of sight and watch your life transform in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for the story of this man born blind. I thank you that there are so many lessons to be unpacked in this passage. Father, I pray that we will submit that we don't know the whole story. And God, I pray that we will be people who get deeper in intimacy with you so when we share our story, our testimony of of how you have changed us, we'll see people's lives changed. In your name, amen.